both now and ever and unto ages of ages. Amen. Uh, first of all, I'll say, I know your blessing. It is so nice to uh, see you and uh, thank you and brother clergy and my brothers in Christ. Uh, I didn't intend to be at the first session. Uh, I can't think of anything that most of you would like to do more than spend the next hour and a half with an 88-year-old priest. <laughs> uh, and I hope I make it worth your while. I think you will. I, I should be given uh, at least honorary membership in, in uh, uh, the, the Southeast because I lived in Miami for about two years, about six blocks from the cathedral. I had no idea what an Orthodox church was, uh, but I did notice the church. I lived in a part of Miami that nobody goes to anymore. It's pretty tough. Um, and then I lived in Atlanta for a couple of years, or for five years. And I enjoyed that a great deal. I loved Atlanta. It was really nice. Uh, so I'm delighted to be here. I'm so glad that I watched this whole session. Um, it, it, it encourages me because what I intended to say at first is exactly, I think, what needs to be said. And uh, uh, a lot of the thing, I have a lot of pages of notes in front of me, but most of it you, you already talked about. And I'm amazed at what you came up with from the book. Let me tell you a little bit about the book. In about 19, oh, I would say about 1967, I was getting ready to speak uh, at a collegiate conference and some woman was singing a song before uh, I was to speak and I had an odd experience. I have no idea what she was singing. I, I, and that's utterly irrelevant. But a, it's almost silly thing happened to me. A little song trickled through my mind. And the little song was, it ain't gonna rain no more. Now, what I was gonna speak on that morning was from Romans chapter six. And the, the, uh, the message was taken from the passage in Romans six, sin shall not therefore reign in your mortal bodies that you should obey it. And so I was going to speak on sin not reigning. And, uh, and this, so I took the other kind of rain, R-A-I-N. And uh, that's what I started with that morning. Sin's not going to rain anymore. And I thought, that's incredible that we can live a life. It's potential out there that we could live without sin reigning in our mortal bodies. And many of us, that's what we experience. So that's where the time, when the book was first published, I don't know, I think it was 1979. I can't remember. Uh, that was the title. And uh, Deacon Terry Allgood, I think you mentioned that. And uh, uh, it, I think the first two editions, that stayed the title. Yeah, it's, it's a little too pop, isn't it? I, I, I'm glad the title was changed to Divine Energy. It's gone through four editions. And let me tell you what I appreciate about it. It's the reason it has hung on is because it's been used uh, for catechism by a lot of clergy and it, it's helpful. So I'm, I'm really appreciative of that. 
Uh, let me start out with, I think I was a senior in high school and our youth group from my Presbyterian church in Berkeley, California, uh, went to a, a meeting where we were, of course, most of the boys, we were enamored, enamored with a movie star uh, by the name of Colleen Townsend. And so we wanted to go and hear her speak, but there was uh, a, the, the, the clergyman in that church was a man named Richard Halverson. He later became the uh, chaplain of the United States Senate. But as a senior in high school, I went to a religious meeting and the first words I heard him actually speak never left my mind. He said, it takes God to make a man. And I was, I was 17 years old. I remember that so vividly. It takes God to make a man. We, we're, we're human beings, whatever. I know that. But to be that unique and individual member of the body of Christ, it simply takes God to become that. I'm not going to get into any of the political stuff today, the, all the, the stuff that goes on in the world. I won't say it's irrelevant, but for us to become genuinely men, as his grace, we need to participate in God. We need to participate in these divine energies. We need to participate in the things that God has given us, that he's made possible for us. In, in the incarnation. So let me take a text. I want to read, I want to read a biblical text. And it's the classic text that Orthodox have used for centuries on, uh, on divine energy, on being divinized. Uh, and the text is from 2 Peter chapter 1. I'm going to start from the beginning. I'm going to read. Grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord, seeing that his divine power has granted to us everything pertaining to life and godliness. Through the true knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and excellence, for by these he has granted us his precious and magnificent promises, so that by these you might become partakers of the divine nature. Bill, incredible. Having escaped the corruption that is in the world by lust. This is staggering. Now, for this very reason, also applying all diligence in your faith. Now, hang on. In your faith, we're going to go, we're going to go here today. In your faith, supply or add moral excellence and in your moral excellence, moral excellence, knowledge, and in your knowledge, self-control and in your self-control, perseverance and in your perseverance, godliness and in your godliness, brotherly kindness and in your brotherly kindness, love for. If these qualities are yours and are increasing, they render you neither useless nor unfruitful in the true knowledge 
of our Lord Jesus Christ. Four, he who lacks these qualities is blind or short-sighted, having forgotten his purification from his former sins. Therefore, brethren, brethren, right here in this seminar, brethren, be all the more diligent to make certain about his calling and choosing of you. For as long as you practice these things, you will never stumble. For in this way, the entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ will be abundantly supplied to you. Therefore, I will always be ready to remind you of these things, even though you already know them and have been established in the truth which is present with you. I consider it right as long I am as long as I am in this earthly dwelling to stir you up by way of reminder, knowing that the laying aside of my earthly dwelling is imminent. Maybe that's true of me too, at 88 years old. As also our Lord Jesus Christ made clear to me, I will be diligent also that at any time after my departure, you will be able to call these things to mind. Now, uh, you know, I, I always tend to say, well, that, that's my favorite passage of scripture. Well, it's one of them. I love it. It's an incredible passage. <coughs> and it's where we begin as, ortho <coughs> begin as Orthodox Christians with divinization, with divine energy. We have to start there. Now, uh, I want to I work on that passage today. But I want to enter in to begin with a little dialogue with each of you. I want, you, you don't unmute. You don't have to do that. Uh, and I'm actually going to hold the book for you. Okay. We're going to go to baptism. You with me? We're going we're gonna to go to the baptism. Because baptism was where the whole thing really starts. So, you know, we're at the beginning of the baptism. And the last thing we just did was we spit at the devil. Remember that? Yeah, we split, spit at the devil. What happens next? Here's what happens next. We have a little dialogue. And the dialogue goes like this. The priestess asks, hast thou united thyself to Christ? You know what the answer is? I'm holding the book for you. Because isn't that what we do? You know, we have, to have, we have to hold the book. Okay. Hast thou united thyself to Christ? The answer, I the response, I do. Okay. Three times, hast thou united thyself to Christ? I do. Hast thou united thyself to Christ? I do. Uh, dost thou believe in him? Or hast thou united thyself to Christ? Different answer this time. I have. Hast thou united thyself to Christ? I have. Hast thou united thyself to Christ? I have. Now again, dost thou believe in him? I believe in him as king and God. Guys, that's where this thing starts. It starts in our baptism. Now, this is, okay, it's profound, but it's so simple. Just believe it. I believe in him. I believe in him as king and God. I'm united to him. If that's all you get out of this today, from my part, 
you already got a whole lot out from all the things you did. But if we just get straight on our baptism, it's not rocket science. It's just done. We are united to Christ. You are united to Christ. Just hang on to it. That's where, that's where all the energy starts. We become part of him, united to him. In uh, how many times did the sword and the fire come up this morning? I don't know, half a dozen or more. You put the sword in the fire. The sword doesn't become a fire. The fire doesn't become a sword. But the fire heats the sword. Just by just sheer coincidence last night. Uh, and, and don't get the idea that I'm always reading something profound because I don't. But last night I happened to be reading uh, from St. Simeon, the new theologian, just I wanted to read something. And he used another illustration, the sun and the rays of the sun. What if you got into the sun? Well, you'd be fried pretty quickly. You, you wouldn't be, you'd be fried before you got very close. But we participate in the sun. We participate in the rays of the sun. So we begin with this matter of union with Christ. Now, hang on. Union with Christ in his glorified humanity. That's what the union is. And I think, Chris, you pointed that out as we got to the end, as you summed up. We are joined to Christ in his glorified humanity. It was also mentioned he, he's still a human being. It's, uh, very often that comes up as an epistle. Uh, I, I forget which, what, if we're selling, is it a hierarchy or whatever, when we're in, when the saint of the day is a certain category, we read that he has entered into the heavenly holy of holies, he's glorified, and we are united with him where he is right now in heaven. And then, of course, then there's that sacramental side of it, where we partake of his body and blood. And if you read the pre-communion prayers and the post-communion prayers, uh, that's just so, so much a part of those, that we are united with him in his heavenly glorified humanity. As a matter of fact, St. Paul says in Ephesians, uh, that we have been raised up and seated together with him in the heavenly places. That's a pretty good place to sit, right? Seated with him in the heavenly places in, uh, in Christ. Uh, particularly, we would experience that in the divine liturgy. So critically important. Okay, <clears throat> now I want to take a step. We've got the first part down, union with Christ. You with me? Union with Christ, together with him. Uh, we could even go far as to say bone of his bone, flesh of his flesh, because that's, that's used in the scripture, even not just back in Genesis, which we just read a few days ago. We read that very thing. But, but we, we are united with Christ in his holy body. Okay. Now. I was sitting in my living room in Minneapolis, Minnesota. I, I once taught high school. I was a high school uh, chaplain, Bible teacher, and track coach at many Ha Ha Academy in Minneapolis. It was a denominational high school, and uh, uh, I, I, I 
I went there to, I was going to go to the University of Minnesota, which I actually never did. I, I was going <clears> to <throat> work on a degree there. Uh, plans changed. But <clears throat> I, I was the youth pastor also of a church in Minneapolis. And so I had my youth group together, or at least some of them, in my living room. And uh, a fellow from England came. I have no idea what his name was. I forget it's irrelevant. But he he talked about, I am the vine, you are the branches. He that abides in me and I in him, the same brings forth much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. And what he spoke about that night in that living room of mine, that was about 1960, uh, 1959 or 1960. It's a long time ago. But he talked, he talked about being joined in the union with Christ. There was a problem. There was a huge problem because all it was was theoretical. And he used an illustration. And he went to John 15 and he read, I'm the vine, you're the branches. He who abides in me and I in him, the same brings forth much fruit. And uh, and he started describing. I'm going to tell you what he, here's how he described it. He said, here's how a branch bears fruit. It struggles and it strives and it tries to grow and it pushes and it strains. And then he started to laugh and he said, you all know that's not true. Men, he was dead wrong. Because that is not actually true. The reason the branch grows is with divine energy, but the branch is expected to bear fruit. And the Lord said in that same passage, if you don't bear fruit, you know what the answer is? You get cut off. Where he missed the point. And for the next decades, I was there. I was preaching this stuff. I was preaching union with Christ to college students all over North America. But it was only a theoretical thing. And, and it was, oh, you just let Jesus do it all. And if you do anything, it's wrong. You must not do anything. You just let Jesus do it in you. Mm -mm. It's not right. Now <clears throat> to our text. Here's what he says in the text that I read to you from Peter. He just finishes, whereby are given unto us exceeding great and precious promises that by these you might become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. Next words. Therefore, in your faith add. Woo! You got to do something. In your faith add or supplement. There's something else you need to do. He names seven things. Moral excellence, knowledge, self-control, perseverance, godliness, brotherly kindness, and love. For if these qualities are yours and increasing, they render you neither useless or unfruitful in the knowledge, hang on to that word, of our Lord and God and Savior, Jesus Christ. So in this whole matter of, of divine energy, 
yes, we, we partake of that union with Christ in his glorified humanity. But at the same time, with that, we're supposed to do some things. At, and, and he names these seven. Now, I don't know whether there's an order to the seven. You know, sometimes biblical scholars will say, well, you know, he started with the top and went down or started with the bottom and went up or whether it was just random order. But I'm going to take a, uh, I'm going to take these briefly. I'm not going to do a lot with them, but we're going to add moral excellence. Now, why? Because to be a Christian man, what you need to do is with Christ's energy, with this divine energy, we're going to do some things. And at least for today, we're going to start with moral excellence, a, a, a better translation of that, perhaps. Oh, I don't care about translations too much, but it's the common Greek word for virtue. Okay? It's just the common plain old word that Plato or Aristotle or any Greek uh, would have used for virtue. Now, I, I, I got a definition of virtue from, Web, from uh, Webster's Merriam, okay? Now we're talking about 19, we're talking about 2021. Definition of virtue, number one, conformity to a standard of right. Guys, we live in a day where we're conforming to a moral, uh, a moral standard of right is considered stupid. It's what you feel. Right's what you feel. No, right is not what you feel. There is a standard. There is a, 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 moral, a moral standard that's, and you're gonna have to make a choice. You're going to have to make a choice whether the moral standard you adhere to is the one that is in the Holy Scriptures and in the life of the church, in the prayers of the church, in the, in the theology of the church, you're either going to buy that or you're going to buy into what's going on today where you just, it, 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 right is what you feel. Mm -mm. Moral, moral excellence, a particular moral excellence. Actually, the, the dictionary actually says that. Uh, a particular moral excellence. Next, a beneficial quality or power of a thing. Manly strength or courage. Valor, a commendable quality or trait. Merit, a capacity to act. These are things that just, is, that's what's in the, the word virtue or moral excellence. And this is what St. Peter is suggesting, he's not suggesting, is <laughs> what St. Peter says to add, moral excellence. Do you want that? Do you want it? Guys, we fight a war every day. This is a battle. And where the battle really, it, I, I think it's where it hits me, is it challenges do I really want moral excellence? A question that actually has to be answered by every single one of you who's listening. Do you want to be like God? Do you want to? If you don't, you might as well hit the button and <laughs> take off. 
Do you want to be like God? Because if you do, you are going to start by adding, adding, supplementing moral excellence, virtue to your life consciously. And what's, what are you going to take for the definition of that? You're going to take what the church teaches. Lots of people today don't want to take what the church teaches. You ever, any of you ever watched the, the, the crown, the TV thing, the crown? I just, uh, my son, one of my sons and I were watching it the other night and they were, they were showing the part of, uh, it's about uh, Queen Elizabeth and uh, her reign and so on. And they're talking about uh, Princess Margaret and her trying to get married to Peter Townsend. And the, the, uh, whoever wrote the text, uh, uh, the, the script in that movie, they sort of deviated from the truth and they made the church look hideous because they, they made the church of England look just foolish because of the way they were not allowing Princess Margaret to marry Peter Townsend, who was divorced. And there was a law in England that, that uh, she couldn't marry a, a divorced man. Well, whatever you think about that's irrelevant, but what, what struck me was how, in the movie, they mocked it. They wanted to make the church look stupid. Guys, if you want to know what moral excellence is, it's in the scriptures and it's in the church. Where else are you going to go? You're going to make it up yourself? Or are you going to take what, what is, are you going to take what the, the world are you going to take what the world believes? Now, I don't think the world really knows what it believes. Actually, what the world sort of says, you can believe everything except you better not believe what the scriptures teach and what the church teaches. So what are we gonna do first? We're gonna add moral excellence. That's something that you consciously do. Uh, some of you in your discussion groups that came up several times. There's just things you're going to do. You're going to not only you're going to love God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, but you're going to love your neighbors, yourself, and sometimes you, there's just things you're going to do for them. You're you're going to take an active step. You're going to live. Okay, you're going to. Aim to live a moral life. And you're going to aim to live that according to God. According to the will of God. And that's not going to be seen by, by following what is taught in the world. It's what's taught in the church. You know, I came out of a background where we, we each interpreted scripture the way we wanted to. And so that resulted in, I don't know, whether you want to call it 3,500 denominations or some people say 35,000, that's irrelevant. It's too many, whatever it is. The church is really pretty clear, is it not, said on what moral excellence is? <laughs> I, we're, this is really not stuff that's up for discussion. 
except it gets discussed all the time. And I, I, I'm baffled. Why are we discussing this? We know what it is. The problem is you got to want to. You got to want to do it. Are you with it? You want to do it? Oh, yeah. Moral excellence. And, you're, and then you, you don't leave that one behind. This is an interesting text because it doesn't say add moral excellence, knowledge, self-control, perseverance, godliness, brotherly kindness, and love. That is not what it says. It says in your faith, add moral excellence and to your moral excellence, knowledge. And to your knowledge, self-control. You see the little change? It's a string. It's a string. And you, you, you don't. You don't leave anything behind. You don't. This isn't a, this isn't a seven, seven, seven separate. Got my merge wixed. A seven step program. It's one thing. It's a string. Moral excellence and in your moral excellence, add knowledge. That's what this. That's what this retreat is about, is it not? As we've been doing this morning, adding knowledge. The things that you've all shared, his grace, what he has shared, what all of you have shared. We need to have the true knowledge of God. So in your faith, add moral excellence. In your moral excellence, knowledge. And oh my goodness, man, to your knowledge, add self-control. Anybody got a self-control problem? Well, you're looking at one. Self-control. And what so often what we do with self-control, well, I'm just human. Oops, there's a problem there, isn't there? Because I'm just human who participates in the glorified humanity of Christ. That's not quite just human. That's what the man meant when he said it takes God to make a man. Self-control is very difficult without God. You know, I, I, I was, uh, I competed in, uh, in track uh, from the seventh grade to uh, the end of my college career as a high jumper. Uh, I didn't jump very high, but I jumped just high enough to get into some really major track meets. And I was astonished as a, particularly a college athlete, to see what men and women would go through to be champions. I was about 15 feet away from the guy who first, uh, who broke the shot put record. And I was just about 35 feet away from uh, Reverend Bob Richards when he broke the pole vault record. And when I saw what those men did to perform the way they did, I was astonished. What they paid an incredible price of self-discipline. Uh, I tell you, they uh, the shot put. Not only. Yes, you have to have incredible strength, but you've got to have incredible form. And it takes work. It takes self-control. 
you can't go out there and say one day, well, you know, uh, I worked really hard yesterday, so I don't think I'll work hard today. I had an opportunity once to uh, work with the football team at the universe at Georgia Tech. Actually, I also did it in Alabama. I'll tell you my Alabama story. Uh, I went to see Bear Bryant. So I went to see him one day and uh, I told him, I'm, my name's John Braun and I'm working with this collegiate organization and uh, uh, I'm gonna start a work on this campus. And uh, the, the bear says, well, Mr. Braun, I want you to know that I want you here at my university and I want you to work with my players. It was really a fun experience. And our meetings started in his living room, but it wasn't, it was his wife who was hosting them. But I was so impressed with uh, the, the, these, because uh, I knew a lot of the players, I actually knew them all at Georgia Tech and at, same thing at the University of Georgia and, and at Alabama, I knew most of them. And I watched what they went through. Uh, one day, my son, one of my sons and I we were walking, we were in San Diego when I was at uh, St. Anthony, and we were, uh, we were going to a basketball game at San Diego State, at San Diego State, and we watched by, we walked by the athletic department, and I looked in there, they had this, it was a lot of glass there, and what these athletes go through to perform, and I thought, good night. As Christians, we ought to be willing to do the same thing. As a matter of fact, isn't it true that, that, that St. Paul uses athletes as an example? We're athletes for Christ. N not, not necessarily the organization. I saw that posted and that's true. Uh, but <laughs> actually the word ascetic, ascesis, actually is a, was used as an expression to work out. You worked out, but you worked out spiritually. So you set your mind on moral excellence, knowledge, self-control. Well, what's logically next? Stick at it. Perseverance. It's not just for today. Oh my goodness. It was mentioned several times in the earlier session. You know, the, the, what's called the mountaintop experience or, uh, you know, go to uh, Antiochian village. And uh, I love Antiochian village, by the way, I, I really do. And, uh, and, you know, the kids go to Antiochian village and they're so fired up. Um, it was still, when I first started going there, it was the old days and kids, people didn't have cell phones. And kids would go home and they'd call each other. And I remember one, I remember one girl who, who ran up a, a $200 phone bill calling her friends after she left Antiochian Village. I don't think that was, I don't think that was totally, un, well, a little, I think it's a little over the top. But I think the village is a great experience, but you can't live from village to village. That's better than nothing. But what you want to do is persevere. It's hard. 
I heard a man say one time, and it really struck me the first time I heard it. I've said it probably a thousand times since. I used to speak five times a day on average for years, five times a day, except Saturday. He used to say the Christian life is not a hard life. It's impossible. He was wrong. The Christian life is not a hard life. It's very difficult. And you need to persevere. And very often, it's not that much fun. Is that right? Sometimes it is. Sometimes there's incredible joy. Oh, love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance. Oh, yeah. But sometimes it's just in the, it's hoplites in the trenches. It's hard. And it gets hard. You got to persevere. I'm not giving you just a good idea. This is just what, this is just what St. Peter says. Moral excellence, knowledge, self-control, perseverance. Now, the next one has a bite to it godliness godliness i already asked the question do you want to be like god you were created in his image well if you're going to be what he wants you to be you're going to be like him that that's isn't that what it means to be in his image you're going to be like him there's a lot of people Men, there's a lot of people that want nothing to do with being like God because they would say it's no fun. Oh my goodness, that's totally wrong. It's just blind. Now, St. Paul says, you being dead in your trespasses and sins in which you formerly walked in your former manner of life. Too bad. No, we want to godliness be like god uh, how can you do that what's the answer divine energy union with christ join to him in his glorified humanity you partake of him in the liturgy you partake of him in the eucharist you're, you're, you partake of his body and blood the, the sacrament of confession we've got all these things that have been given to us but you got to want to. And if you don't want to, if I can use that poor grammar, if you don't want to, it ain't going to happen. Godliness. Brotherly kindness. Oh, boy, did that come up this morning? You love God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and your neighbor is yourself. Sometimes your neighbor is your brother. I often wonder, I, I, I've never done this. I've wanted to. I've wanted to, in a homily, in the liturgy, I've wanted to ask, is there anybody in here that you don't like? Is there anybody here that you got a bone to pick with? Is there anybody here you think is weird? Is there anybody here you think is not really cool? Is there anybody here with whom you don't entertain brotherly kindness? Just be 
kind in the church to our brothers and sisters, just being kind to all of them. Not just to the ones that you kind of, you know, you're drawn to. Even the old guys, drawn brotherly. I don't need to tell you what brotherly kindness is, do I? Everyone listening to me knows what brotherly kindness is. It's not quite the next step. Moral excellence, in your moral excellence knowledge, in your knowledge self-control, in your self-control perseverance, in your perseverance godliness, in your brotherly kindness, love. Add it. That's what he says. Add it. St. Paul says, I'm praying that your love will increase for one, increase and abound for one another. It's not just a like a one time, I love you. It's increasing and abounding. That's what St. Paul says. St. Peter says, if these qualities are these characteristics, these seven things he's just named, if these qualities are yours and increasing, it goes on. Now, what do you get from all this? What do you get from it? They render you neither useless nor unfruitful. They render you neither. You, do you ever feel, do, do you ever feel, have you ever felt useless nor unfruitful in the knowledge, in your knowledge of Christ? Well, I sure have. Well, if you, if you labor at these, if you seek to supplement these, they render you neither useless nor unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord and God and Savior, Jesus Christ. And there's a negative consequence. He who lacks these things is blind and short-sighted, having forgotten his forgiveness from his former sins. Well, that's a bad place to be, isn't it? Forgotten his forgiveness. Amazing. Well, men. I think I'm going to stop there right now and open this up for any kind of discussion that you want. We just spent 45 minutes. I don't think I'll take an hour because uh, we can visit a bit. And uh, if you don't want to visit a bit, that's fine too. <laughs> sometimes I, I found I yell a lot. And, uh, and so people sometimes are a little bit uneasy about, oh, I'm going to disagree with him. Disagree if you want. <laughs> but Anyway, that's what uh, that's what I wanted you to catch uh, from this passage in St. Peter. That's, that's wonderful, Father John. I, I just wanted to encourage everybody, uh, if you would like to, if you'd like to ask a question, feel free to use the chat, and I can either read that to Father John, or if you'd like, you can unmute and ask a question, or even just make a comment. I'll kick it Either, off. Anyway, I don't care. But Michael, it would be good if somebody sort of keeps me up to date on what's going on. Yeah, I will do that. I will read anything okay. that comes into the chat. There was a question earlier, and it seemed like someone answered it. 
Uh, the question was, did you work for the FCA, Fellowship of Christian Athlete? And then Father Gregory Rogers said, Father John worked for Campus Crusades for Christ. So that was- That's right. I, I worked with Campus Crusade for Christ. I was very aware of Fellowship of Christian Athletes, and I actually did work with them, in, even as the organization was uh, established. Um, uh, some of you remember Fran Tarkenton. Uh, the, I think he was a quarterback, uh, Minnesota quarterback, uh, uh, and uh, he was he was heavily involved in in that. And uh, uh, Steve Spurrier from the University of Florida, the quarterback. Uh, I did a I did a rally once in uh, in in Birmingham. Uh, anybody here from Birmingham? I don't know. I got a key to the city of Birmingham once. It was fun. Um, it didn't help to have, it, it didn't hurt to have Bear Bryant on your side, but uh, they, they gave me a key to this city of, um, of, uh, of Birmingham and I lost my train of thought why I wanted to go there. Uh, oh, uh, uh, I did a rally once in, in Birmingham, several, I think there's 10, 12,000 people there. And it was a lot of fellowship of Christian athletes, people that were there. Uh, it, it, it helped to have Miss America there too. Uh, but it, it was, it was, it was fun to do that. But I, 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 I didn't work for the FCA, but I worked with a lot of the athletes that did. Father John, I had a question just personally. Uh, I remember reading the book Becoming Orthodox, and a lot of people I know have read that book, and you're mentioned in that book, and Father Peter Gilquest, I know, uh, is a very dear friend of yours. I, I was wondering if you could just comment on that time when you were doing the research. You were painted in the book as someone who actually went and studied about things and reported back, and, and I was hoping you would talk about the realizations that you had made and, and what that was that experience was like telling that to your friends? You know, and um, it's a, it's a it's a a fun story, and it's a good story. Uh, in in 1966, I was um, sitting in a hotel room in um, the University of Colorado, Boulder, and uh, it, in one of these flashes. It's like, it was like there was a moment when I got a glimpse of the church. You heard what I just said? The church. I thought I knew what the church was, but I realized at that instant, what I was doing wasn't church. What I was doing was what we called parachurch. Parachurch ain't church. It's an admission that it's not church. In fact, we went to great length to say that we weren't a church. Well, that moment, I, and I'm, I, I started talking about it to my friends and so on, and then uh, I, I made these fabulous friends in that organization, of which Father Peter Gilquist was one. And we began a search, which Father Peter very cleverly, uh, one of the quickest wits I've ever known in my life, uh, he called it our phantom search for the perfect church. And we started that in 1966. 
And we tried to turn our organization into a church. We had some very funny things happening. We had kids getting baptized in showers and dormitories. Uh, they were trying to do sacraments, uh, which ultimately caused a lot of problems. And so uh, I didn't leave the organization, uh, particularly because I didn't like it. I left because I wanted the church. And so we, we, we got together in uh, January, in July of 1971. And we joined together in agreement that we were going to search for the historic church. And we even made assignments. Gilquist was gonna work on, we, we, he was the youngest and we, we said, you're gonna be our leader. And then uh, we had a college, uh, uh, an ex-college professor from Penn State, Jack Sparks. He was in charge of researching liturgy. I was in charge of searching church history. Uh, a, a priest, Father Richard Ballou, was in charge of theology. Uh, and we searched these things out and we would get together every four months and we would share. And I, I'll never forget the day when this Father Richard Ballou uh, he was just old Dick Blue then, and he called me. He said, "We got to get together." He said, "I just met the fathers of the church." That's what he said. He was in the UCSB library at University of California, Santa Barbara, and he said, "I just met the fathers of the church." And that was our introduction of the fathers, and we scoured them. We devoured them. I mean, we, we read and read and read. And then we went for help. We went for help to St. Vladimir. We went for help to Holy Cross. We went help to find out. Um, but it took us from, uh, from then, well, it was, I think it was 1987 when we, made the, when we were brought in. The, there were about 3,000, 3,500 of us that were brought into the Orthodox Church by Metropolitan Philip. Uh, but that was that was the journey to the church. If you don't, if you're not, a, if you're not in a church, where's your standard of moral excellence going to be? It's going to be wherever you want to be. But if your standard of moral excellence is in the church, you it's not up for grabs, guys. It's up for the church. That's where you're going to find it. And we got a lot of people want to change church. It ain't going to change. It ain't. A, it's just not going to. Anyway, I'll shut up for a while and, and somebody else has. Well, there's been there's been some questions. Thank you for that, uh, Father John. There's been a couple of anonymous questions sent. If anybody wants to send their question anonymously, just send me a direct message and I can read it. The first one yeah, is anonymous. Nice. And here's a question from somebody. How do we avoid or recognize and deal with chronic sins or even generational sins, those inherited from our parents slash childhood? Many people join certain patterns of thinking and behavior very early in life before one has the maturity and tools to see them coming. Could, uh, these could be, uh, these could be called coping mechanisms, self-medications, codependencies, etc. You know, I think it's an excellent question, and and the fact is there, I, you know, we all sort of come with some of that. Uh, uh, 
you grow up in a, uh, I didn't grow up in a priest's home, but I grew up in a Presbyterian minister's home. And my father was a Presbyterian minister, but he grew up a Mennonite. And uh, it's a very unusual group. It's, it came out of the more radical part of the Protestant Reformation. And, and they had rules that, that uh, Moses would have laughed at. Uh, it, it was really tough. People do have a lot of things. We do inherit things in, in you know, nurture and nature and so on, uh, all of that. Still, what I'm talking about this morning is that's the way, it's the way divine energy is the way out. Sometimes we need a lot of help. And I've got no problem with professional help. I don't have a problem with it. <clears throat> But to break generational sin, I love I love the fact that you brought that up because there is such a thing as generational sin, uh, particularly according to the scriptures. How many generations? Third and fourth. There's stuff that hangs on. I mean, like, like there's there's garbage that hangs on. How do you get rid of it? What we're talking about today, it it's. This has to be part of the road. Is there a place for pastoral counseling? Well, of course there is. Is there a place for professional counselors? When I went to St. Anthony in San Diego, <clears throat> uh, I was already getting close to 60 years old. And I, I told him right up front, I'm not a counselor. Don't come to me for, for professional counseling, but you can come to me and I'll send you to one. And I had a list of people that, that I could send people to. But still, you can't take this part out of the equation. Uh, you're going to have to have divine energy. Everybody needs divine energy. You know, there's those people that seem like they, it's just come so easy for them. No, no. Uh, it's a battle for everyone. And by the way, I wanted to say this earlier on, and I forgot. Most people don't like war. War's really hard. Uh, my brother was on the deck of a small aircraft carrier in the biggest battle in, in naval history. Body parts flying everywhere. Over a thousand men died that morning. Five ships in his small part of the U.S. fleet went down. It's not nice. He never spoke of it, but I listened to people on YouTube that were there. War is tough. Spiritual warfare is tough. And one of you said this just a while. We need each other. Was that you, my son? We need each other. Yes. It's hard to do alone. Oh, no, we, we need help. That's not a complete answer, but it helps. Yeah, let me go to the next one. There's been a couple more. Uh, the next question, Father, is how do we develop the, quote, want to, unquote, be like God? I have heard quote, I believe, help my unbelief, unquote. What about, quote, I want to, 
uh, I want to want to be like God, unquote. Probably the place that one begins, <clears throat> especially for an Orthodox Christian, is in confession. Is to go and, and, and uh, what does it mean to, to confess? It's an interesting word. To confess means to say it together with God. We agree with him. He says, you need to want to. I made you that way. I made you in my image. I sent my son. He took on human nature. Uh, came down from heaven, was incarnated the Holy Spirit and the Virgin Mary and was made man. And it's important to even say it. I, to God, I want to be willing and I admit I'm not. I had a friend who was, he was sitting in a rock in Switzerland. He was essentially an atheist. And he said, he prayed and he said, God, and I don't believe there is one. But if you're there and I don't believe you are, I want you to hear me, but I don't believe you will. And his life changed. It did, it changed because he was willing to believe, willing. And therefore what you just said, I believe, help my unbelief. Don't you all feel that way? I, mean, I do. I've got a lot of unbelief. Uh, trusting God, but I want to. And I tell him, it's so critical to tell. Again, that's not a full answer, just helpful maybe. Yes, Father, thank you. There's a, there's a wonderful comment in here next that I wanted to read to you. Uh, Father Peter's book, Becoming Orthodox, is what made me aware of and helped lead me to holy orthodoxy. Many of the people mentioned in the book became heroes of the faith for me. Father John is certainly one of them. I never got to meet him in person, so I'm very appreciative of his speaking here today. I think a lot of us share that sentiment, Father. Uh, there's, a, there's another question here. I'm under the impression that there's a distinction between joy and, quote, fun, unquote, in the Orthodox faith. Is it true that even in our most difficult times, we might not have fun, but the serious joy we have in Christ remains in us burning and unshaken. There is, uh, this is one of my pet peeves. By the way, before I address this question, you, you said something and I, there are some people here today that have been friends of mine for, uh, for 50 years. Uh, and there's some of you, a number of you that have been friends of mine for 40 years and more. There's quite a number here that I, I recognize, uh, and, uh, and it, it wasn't just this little handful that, uh, of men that made this journey. There were, there, there were people right here in this group today that were participants in that journey, just as much as I was or Gilquist was or anyone else. Uh, they, 
it was uh, it was something we did together. That's why this togetherness is so crucial. Um, now, Michael, tell me what that question was. Yeah, the question is, um, I'm under the impression that there's a distinction between joy and fun. Joy and fun. <sighs> Fun's an okay word, I guess. But we got to be careful with it. Because if fun is just the fulfillment of all your desires, this is not something Orthodox look at. Uh, Jesus said, uh, my fun I give unto you, not as the world give I fun unto you. <laughs> That's not quite peace I live with you. My joy I give unto you. Uh, you can have joy in the midst of the greatest tribulation. Uh, I make it a habit. <clears throat> to read at least one of the saints of the day. And, and I would encourage you, men, uh, our own, the Antiochian Archdiocese, I look at our, I look at our page uh, seven days a week, every day. I look at the, uh, at our webpage. And I, I use our webpage for morning prayers and for the saints of the day. Uh, I often use the OCA website because sometimes they, they have they uh, have little uh, pieces on uh, the saints of the day. Uh, martyrs rejoicing in martyrdom. Uh, I said, uh, uh, saints crucified in rejoicing. Uh, joy is part of the fruit of the spirit. St. Paul names them, he, uh, it's not all of them, but he names them. The fruit of the spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering. Now, when you use the, the word joy and long-suffering in the same sentence, you're almost looking at a contradiction, aren't you? Uh, I heard somebody define long-suffering one time. He said to be long-suffering is to be long-bothered. And uh, it's probably stronger than that, but I thought that was a good start at least. We can have joy at any time, not just, you know, we're, we're gonna, we're gonna, we're heading for Pascha now and, and we're, we want joy we're, and we're gonna have joy at the resurrection, but we can have joy in the midst of sorrow, but we just buried here, one of our priests at St. Athanasius in Santa Barbara not old, in the 70s, uh, rather unexpectedly, he died a couple of weeks ago. Uh, but the family, he found, it found joy, he found hope, even in the midst of sorrow. You don't find fun in it. There's a huge difference between fun. Uh, am I saying, don't ever have any fun? Well, there's certain kinds of fun, no. Because it has nothing to do with moral excellence. It has nothing to do with perseverance, godliness, or brotherly kindness, or love. We must be very careful with what we use the word fun for. Uh, because sometimes it's an excuse for sin. And that doesn't really work well. Now, there's a difference between fun and joy. Yeah, Jesus true. said, I was going to say that's so well said, joy may be full. 
Yeah. That's so well said, Father. I, uh, I just wanted to quickly go to another um, a comment here and then a question. But first, the comment. Thank you, Father John. You are truly exhibiting divine energy. I really appreciate you powerfully voicing St. Peter's divinely inspired truth. If you do these things, you will never stumble. And then there's a question in here next for you, Father, that it's an interesting one. And I actually, if you don't mind, would like to, to maybe make a comment about it after I read the question. Um, the question is, where can we go to find the next group of Christians, such as Protestants or Roman Catholics, that want to follow the true fathers? And I have to just say, after reading that question, you know, I, I had wondered that at my, at myself in the past, but I also have been led by some amazing uh, mentors and teachers and spiritual fathers who really reminded me that we have to work on ourselves. We have to be worthy of those who want to find the church and that God will put people in our lives and even whole groups of people when we're worthy of receiving them. And God won't trust us unless, you know, we can't lead others until we first leave our, lead ourselves. We have to put our own households in order. We have to take care of our own house, our own <laughs> parish. So just, I wanted to make that comment, um, speaking on behalf of our organization, that when we focus on leading ourselves, leading uh, within the church first to purify, right? then I think God then puts those people and even whole groups when we're ready to receive them. And I, I'd ask you to comment on that, but as well as the question, where can we go to find the next group of Christians, Protestants or Roman Catholics that would want to follow the true fathers? You know, you're just, you're going to have to wait. Let me tell you, it was not our plan uh, at all. We were looking for the original church we, we you can't imagine how many people try to try to create the new testament church that was the, at first that was our goal we were we tried to imitate what was going on in the book of acts as gilquist he's funny uh he he came up with a quip we're going to be acts 29 uh there's 28 chapters in the book of acts and so we were going to be acts 29 we were just going to imitate what they did in the New Testament church. The problem is you can't. It doesn't work. You were not there. Do you know where you're going to find the New Testament church? You're in it. The Orthodox Church is the New Testament church. She's not a baby. She's an older lady. Very proud. And doing well, she's breathing. But I do. I totally agree with Michael has just said. And 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 this group, Amen. This is this is part of it. We we need to be men and women of God. Uh, you're it. You you can't go hunt a group like us. Actually. We were a group that finally came and hunted you. We made a decision. We, in one of those meetings, uh, I don't know, Father Gregory Rogers, if you're if you're still on, uh, we made a decision. We were going to go. We were going to go to the patriarchates one at a time, and uh, and try to get in. And we went to we went to Constantinople. We went to Istanbul. They wouldn't talk to us. 
They wouldn't. The present patriarch, finally, he wasn't the patriarch then, and he talked to three, three of us. It wasn't easy. They weren't, in fact, they told us, well, we were told here, you can come, but we'll take you one at a time. We couldn't do that. Uh, will there be other groups like us? There'll be groups that are a lot better than we were. Um, uh, there'll be, there'll be, uh, by, by the way, do you know what really helps bring people? Persecution, suffering. I think we're heading for some guys. I think we're heading for some. Uh, the guy that I heard say, and you've heard this before, but the guy who, who I heard say, the Christian life is not a hard life, it's impossible, is the same guy the first guy I ever heard say, when the going gets tough, the tough get going. Uh, the blood of the martyrs. Yeah, that's our seed. Was that Irenaeus? The blood of the martyrs is our seed. Um, I think we have some difficult days. That's I, I, I love this Tertullian, Father John. Pardon? It's actually Tertullian. Tertullian. Okay. I need to be, you know, at 88, I forget a lot of things. Yeah, that was Father Father Gregory Rogers. He is still with us, Father. So uh, I want to read another quick comment and then one more question that we have for you. Uh, the comment is, okay, uh, Father, just a quick comment. I've always found great parallels between the gridiron and our mission as Orthodox men. Coaches like Bear Bryant and Don Shula come to mind as excellent builders of men for the larger struggles at hand. An example, Super Bowls, national championships, life, I'm afraid that they don't make them like that anymore. God bless. And I'll just I'll just say, Father, I played football too, and I'll never forget something that my football coach told me. I, I think about it all the time. If you take care of the little things, the big things will take care of themselves. And that's so transferable over into really all of life, but especially the spiritual life. The, the question that I was going to read to you here is uh, the next one is, is an anonymous one. You speak in the book about the qualities or energies of God, such as love, joy, and peace. You make the point that these are gifts from God. They are uncreated. We cannot manufacture them. It's interesting to think that God is the source of these powerful emotions and not of our own doing. Can you elaborate on this further? Well, it's interesting. <clears throat> uh, let's take love, because that's a nice place to start. Uh, I think it's Romans 5.5. 5. Uh, the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Spirit, who is given unto us. Uh, there is there is such a thing as human love. People love their dogs. I, I don't mean that belittlingly at all. I think there's there is such a thing as human love. Uh, there's also such a thing as divine love. But there's also such a thing as when divine energy is energizing human love. And that's what St. Peter's talking about when he, you know, I, like I said, I don't know if he meant that. It, there was a, when St. Peter wrote, it was the common literary device 
to deliver things sometimes in order from top to bottom, sometimes from bottom to top, and sometimes bottom, top, next, next, and with the main point in the middle. <laughs> so I don't know what Peter had in mind or whether he just said, well, he just thought of these seven things. But the, the, the last one is love. But by that, he, he means love that is energized by God. Um, I don't know if that answers the question. At least it speaks to it. It does, yeah. Father. Um, thank you. I, I, not not meant to be an anonymous question. This is Chris, um, but I think just just to really cement it home for me is uh, these are. I mean, we've often heard those maybe as the fruits of the spirit as well. Some of those same qualities, right? Yeah. So um, those are all created by God. I've never thought before. I've never heard of them as uncreated before. So I was really trying to grasp that a little further uncreated part of it and um you know because that's the those a lot of those are big emotions that we that's what brings us happiness and joy in our human forms now and uh that but thank you your comments help if you want to add a little more that'd be great yeah let me add a little more uh even but there even between the persons of the trinity um, uh, uh, god didn't uh, I think there's a, such a thing as created human love, okay? But the love of God, for example, for the love of the Father for the Son, is not created love. It's uncreated. Uh, and these, uh, in Western theology, uh, we call, they're called characteristics of God. Uh, we, no, Orthodox don't. We don't like the word characteristics. We want uncreated energies. Uh, these these qualities, uh, these things, in the as God as the in the, the relationship in the Holy Trinity, and even with the uh, with the uh, bodiless powers, there's uh, there's there's joy that is not created joy. There's peace that's not created peace. It's uncreated. And it's these we're invited to participate in. Human beings being in the image of God, yes, there is human love. I, I, there, are, there are people who don't believe in God, who genuinely love each other, but it's not the same as energized human love. And so as I, the quote from Romans chapter five, the love of God is poured out, is a good translation of that. But shed abroad's fine too. I, uh, I was, as a, as a uh, teenager, I had to memorize a lot of scripture, just something we did. So by the time I finished high school, here's one for you guys. It wasn't great, but I had, I memorized over 500 verses from the Bible by heart, chapter and verse, word perfect. That was just what we did. Uh, so I learned all these. I learned a lot of scripture. Uh, but God so loved the world. The old John 3:16. God so loved the world. He loved the world. He loves the world, still does, with uncreated love. 
And it is that love that we get to participate in. And it's pretty much that love, man. It's that love that it takes to love your neighbor as yourself. Pretty hard love on your neighbor as yourself, isn't it? Especially my neighbor. <laughs> no, I have good neighbors, but. Well, Father, what if you I... had me as a neighbor? <laughs> <laughs> I wish I did, Father. I uh, We have another quick question before we bring things to a close. This will be the last one. It's just a quick question. Maybe just cl clarifying, speaking about, you know, the, the difference between joy and fun, just referring back to that. Is it safe to say joy comes from God and fun from the world? Oh, maybe, but I understand it, and it, it's a worthy comment, but I think Christians have fun. Uh, I, I think some of you have had fun today. Uh, you know, I... Um, I, I enjoy being together with, uh, we, we uh, St. Athanasius really whoops it up on, uh, on Pascha, you know, we, after liturgy in the afternoon, we'll have a, a, a really big celebration, uh, maybe later in, in, uh, in, the, in the afternoon, we'll have a feast in a park, yeah, we have fun, I have fun with my friends, I have a, uh, my youngest son lives with me. We have a lot of fun. My uh, almost every Friday, I'm with my oldest and youngest son. Uh, we, have, you know, we we don't we don't uh, we don't sit down and do prayers. We just visit. We go out to dinner. Uh, I think that's fun. I think it's wholesome fun. I love doing it. I look forward to Fridays because virtually every single Friday. Uh, I'm at least with my oldest and youngest. Yeah, fun, five. fun Fun doesn't have to always be sinful, that's for sure. No, 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 no. Uh, sin's not a wicked thing, uh, but it's when we have to, when fun becomes the goal of our lives and, and, uh, and, and at, people wouldn't sin if it weren't fun. Right. Yeah, well, that's a side. There are people that are addicted, yeah, but they don't. It's not fun to them. There's actually one more bonus question. I think it's a, a good one to ask, Father. Um, it, this one says it starts, "Amen." Question for Father John. Father John's book has done so much for me in so few words. I particularly benefited from his ability to dissect and explain the words of our prayers or the words of our, our scriptures, as he, as he just did with Timothy's epistle. I'd like to read other writings by Father John or from other authors, which could be likewise useful in this way. <laughs> Any recommendations? We talked about becoming Orthodox Father, so that's definitely one I would recommend, but do you have any recommendations on other books to read? Oh, I don't know. You know, ancient faith, they have all kinds of stuff. St. Vladimir bookstores, Loda, Antiochian book. You know, I don't, I don't know. I, uh, I, I read Christian books. Uh, I, but let me, let me just make this comment. Everything you need to be a Christian and walk with God is in the scriptures and in the services of the church. The prayers of the church. It's all, if that's that's all you actually need, and you need it all. You want to know how to pray? Pray the prayers of the church. 
uh, you want to know what God wants in your life? You got the scriptures in the church. Christian books are fine. I remember Father Hopko. Uh, I remember him. I heard him say probably a half dozen times, maybe. He said there were all kinds of books on prayer in the in the St. Vladimir bookstore. And he said, I'm not sure they should be there. <laughs> He's not sure it's helpful. Well, he was, you know, sort of jesting. Um, what do I recommend? You'll just, you find what people are reading and sharing with you. Most of it's not bad. There's, there's, most of our, you know, the, most of our bookstores are pretty much selective in what they offer. Well, Father, I, I think we're going to bring this to a close. And again, I personally wanted to thank you really on behalf of all of the Antiochian men, on behalf of all of the Antiochian men in our diocese. Uh, it's been a true blessing to have you with us. I want to thank you personally. You and I go back quite a ways, even from when I was a young boy running through the halls of hotel rooms at conferences at Parish Life. And what did I call you? You called me Michael, not the Archangel. That's exactly what I called you. <laughs> <laughs> and that is still still reigns true today. I want to hand it over to our um, our bishop, Bishop Nicholas, for any closing comments and uh, a final prayer. I think Father John did a great job. The the book is so wonderful. Everybody's making comments on how uh, wonderful it is and how it resonates with people. Um, and earlier, Chris. Uh, Farha and all the leaders of the breakout sessions did a great job. Thank you all. And maybe I'll ask Father John to end us with a prayer. <clears throat> the Lord bless us and keep us. The Lord make his face to shine upon us. The Lord lift up the light of his countenance on us and give us peace now and ever and unto ages of ages. Amen. Thank you, Sayedna. Amen. Thank you, everybody, for joining us. It's been a wonderful, wonderful Antiochian Men Lenten retreat. And I just want to thank every one of you for coming and participating. Uh, and let's take what we've learned, what we've shared together, and let's finish the race. Let's keep in mind that we're, we're in the middle of Great Lent, and we're on our journey to the empty tomb. And let's, let's use the tools that we've learned and the knowledge that we have to help ourselves and each other, and, uh, and then celebrate Christ's glorious resurrection together. Thank you. I tremble for the fearful day of judgment, but trusting the compassion of thy mercy, I shout to thee like David, have mercy upon me, O God, according to thy grace.